This is the John Oakley Show podcast. As our friend Rocco Rossi, CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, in the house. Great day for talk radio and two great new colleagues. Yeah, well, they are indeed. Okay, uh, so you're sort of dismissing the other two. Uh, like so much flotsam and <laughs> jetsam in your life. Under the bus, Okay, <laughs> good on you. Andrew Clark is with us, contributing writer for the Globe and Mail. How's Andrew? Great, great, thank you. Good to have you on board. And Lindsay Broadhead, back with us, corporate communication strategist. How's Lindsay? Very well, sir. How are you? Very good, too. Thank you for asking. Good. Things got heated up in the uh, House of Commons. They returned today. The legislature's back in session. Everybody coming off the family day-long weekend. Uh, Justin Trudeau getting some heat from the opposition. Uh, certainly the leader of the opposition, Andrew Scheer, uh, went after him on the case of uh, these blockades that continue to uh, stand intact. And uh, Justin Trudeau, in response, saying uh, a hasty response is not a good idea. There are those who would want us to act in haste, who want us to boil this down to slogans and ignore the complexities, who think that using force is helpful. It is not. Patients may be in short supply, and that makes it more valuable than ever. Okay, uh, so much for the sloganeering. Uh, and there are those who say uh, we shouldn't act in haste. I, you know, I was kind of perplexed because uh, I thought perhaps we could be a little more hasty on uh, addressing the rule of law. But I'll start around the horn here with this one. Justin Trudeau and the timing on all of this. Uh, Rocco, I mean, is there a point by which he's going to be damaged politically, maybe irrevocably, or if he does pull the fat out of the fire, so to speak, he'll be hailed as a hero here? Well, look, this is a, a critical issue, and um, we were, uh, uh, I'm, the Ontario Chamber of Commerce is one of 34 uh, business organizations that signed a letter to the Prime Minister and to uh, the opposition leaders this morning um, essentially uh, pointing out how incredibly important this is. Um, there are uh, lots of issues, in particular for the, the Maritimes being cut off for propane and uh, a number of other key water treatment chemicals, uh, other things that uh, in a very short order will cause issues. There's also the reputational damage uh, in the rest of the world. Is this a place you can do business and count on things working? All right, so the Prime Minister, I mean, we know he was MIA all of last week, only uh, decided to cancel his junket to Barbados to come back here. What's your sense? Is it a little late, late, late in the day? Look, he's got it. He's got a team that's been working on this as well, and ministers that have to work on it uh, as well. I'm glad that uh, he's back. I'm glad he's showing seriousness uh, on it, and we need to uh, we need to act as quickly as possible. Well, okay. Some would say it's already past that timeline. Lindsay, how do you see it? Um, I thought his performance today was another example of how his diplomacy is not really driving uh, in jiving with his performance. Right. So he he wants to be diplomatic. He wants to listen. He wasn't in town. Uh, he, this is the biggest thing that he's had on in a second term, if not the in his entire prime ministerial sitting. Um, he should be here. He should have been back quicker and had a voice, not just his team, from my point of view. And I, look, I skew liberal. Um, but I think he's being diplomatic without any content whatsoever. He said nothing today. So from a timing point of view, you know, maybe there is incredible magic happening behind the scenes, and I support that. I think that's a good thing. But he needs to share more with the Canadian people in terms of what he's actually doing. This has been going on a while now. People are justified, I think, in their uh, in their worry and concern. 
uh, about certainly the laws, but, uh, you know, the precedent that this sets uh, moving forward. And he wasn't diplomatic with uh, Mr. Shearer. Absolutely he didn't not. invite him to a to a meeting, which... Uh, Emergency debate tonight. Yeah, I think yep. that was a very bad call. Total mess. <clears throat> well, is that a fit of pique or petulance? Because he maybe senses it's the hot whips of panic that have engulfed him now, and he's dropping the ball in this one big time. Andrew, how do you read it? Well, I think people have to put it in a context of the Indian Act and the, that to a lot of indigenous uh, peoples, not all, but many, when the Indian Act is put forward, which is putting in elected councils and is essentially trying to stamp out uh, indigenous culture, uh, when the hereditary chiefs are not given any credence, uh, that's where you're starting to see these kind of protests. So I think uh, coming down in a heavy-handed way will not be successful in this in this realm. Well, what is heavy-handed? I mean, uh, enforcing the rule of law does that necessarily imply it's heavy-handed? Well, if you if you go in there as they did uh, b- before the the Mohawks started block blockading or not blockade, they're not actually blocking the tracks, but protesting uh, in a heavy-handed manner, you're just going to trigger more protests among more uh, different indigenous groups who are going to say this is not an appropriate response. So yeah, you can run in with the police and arrest everybody, but if you look at a map of Canada, there's train tracks running all over Canada, and much of Canada is primarily indigenous land. So if you think one railway being blocked, I think if you come down hard, you're going to see a whole lot of other ones. So what you're uh, referencing, I'm guessing, uh, the RCMP uh, breaking up the camp Mm -hmm. in B.C., Right. And so what you're saying triggered 4,000 miles away, this thing just to the east of us in Tyendinaga territory. Right, because when the Indian Act, I mean, the Indian Act goes back to the 19th century, but I think in the 1920s, it was really come in full force. And for example, I think, you know, in terms of um, Mohawk communities, uh, there was a lot of resistance to it because they felt that uh, it was a policy that was put in place to sort of erase uh, their their culture. So it's not just a matter of a few protesters who are ignoring the elected band councils. They, I just think that there is, an, not in every indigenous community, because I think there are, there are what, over 600 different ones, but uh, in certain ones, the hereditary chiefs play a significant role in the culture of how those communities are run. All right, uh, but that doesn't necessarily apply to what's happening just east of Belleville. No, uh, and uh, you know it's not at all clear that uh, that the that the chiefs that the council are the ones behind the blockade. And make no mistake, it is a blockade. You're saying it's just protesting. Mm-hmm. It has stopped rail traffic mm-hmm. uh, to the east. It is a it is a blockade. Um, and and again, the, you're absolutely right. There are longstanding. Uh, and legitimate grievances that need to be dealt with. But who are you going to be negotiating with? Uh, Because these are minorities within to to date. It's not been shown uh, that that the council has said in the Mohawk territories, uh, we are we're behind this. We're we're the ones organizing it. That's not the case to date, well, as I've heard. And I think that is a re- result of the Indian Act, which basically created two systems of government, at least in some indigenous communities. 
So you're right. That's look, where the same argument was made by those who wanted to separate from Canada in Quebec and said, you impose this solution on us. We went through two well, referenda. Right. And I don't think that, <laughs> I think that, 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 that the, if you bring up Quebec separatism, uh, they, uh, they are treated in some respects with a lot more kid gloves than, than we have in the past when we're dealing with indigenous communities. Well, what you're saying here, Andrew, though, is this is irreconcilable if we, uh, are to have no authoritative voice or there are two authoritative voices within the... I just want to get to the immediate. And when Rocco cites, you know, business out Far East uh, in the Maritimes tied up, I read something today where there's like $850 million worth of goods that are sort of parked on the sidelines that are not moving through the pipeline here. And for the in the world of grocery where you have uh, food that could go bad, uh, it makes it even more pressing or there are specific chemicals required for water treatment, or there is propane for heating in lots of communities. I mean, this is... It's urgent. It is urgent. There are issues, and there's an impact on the country and on our reputation globally. Well, then, doesn't that uh, make it obligatory that whoever is the enforcement arm of the government has to uh, enforce the rule of law, Lindsay? Um, Yes, but I think... I'm wondering who has actually uh, empowered them to act or not act, because... Act who? The, well, I'm assuming you're referencing the RCMP in this case. Well, uh, I'm just saying, uh, well, it could be the OPP in Ontario. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just trying to focus immediately on what's happening to the east of us, yep. because, you know, people want to get to Montreal, to Ottawa for business and back and forth, and there's, you know, rail traffic is I think tied to... what Andrew is saying, though, is really important insofar as we have to be um, considered an objective in how this is treated. We don't want this to be dealt with poorly and then it becomes a catalyst for any number of other um, protests, blockades, etc. Right. Um, there should be, the rule of law should be followed, but I think what we're, we need to acknowledge is that they, the hereditary chiefs, see the rule as, differently, right? So this, it's a battle of um, will a little but, bit but in a battle of legalities. Are we emboldening uh, the anarchists? Uh, radicals within the system here that, uh, you know, just want to derail everything. I mean, when you've yeah. got a trend... Your original question was around timing, I right. think, right? right. And, and I think that's still key. Trudeau has to come in here and be a leader. And I know that word has been bantied about quite a bit <laughs> this week. But uh, as it relates to the, the travel of goods, that has to be resolved immediately. We're talking about a number How of so, different though? problems. How so, and this is the unknown, I think, and this is what we were expecting today when you mentioned um, when when he spoke. It was so hollow of action. Mm-hmm. We have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. So in terms of timing, I think his window is very short to demonstrate to the Canadian public that something substantive is actually happening behind the scenes, even if it's quiet, mm. um, and and that the, the rail can continue. Um, with regard to relationships between the various councils, that can take that has a longer duration. But I think Trudeau has a very short window here to prove to the Canadian public that that particular uh, issue is solved. Do you think John, already, you, hmm? you had uh, Asher Honickman on earlier, who who pointed out rightfully uh, that when you look at these uh, injunctions, um, the court doesn't necessarily then specify the timing, how, the hows, and so on. We we do have to turn to the professionals who are on the scene. And so maybe in BC, it was appropriate um, uh, to take the action uh, that was taken. 
we don't know exactly the situation on the on the ground in Belleville. The OPP, the RCMP are very well uh, aware of it. No one wants to create martyrs. No one wants to create um, uh, issues that will have a ripple effect because, quite frankly, the protest, uh, you know, here ostensibly about um, about the gas pipeline through the Wet'suwet'en lands, uh, but we've got uh, the the tech mine decision coming up. We've got extension on Northern Gateway. So if you don't handle it in the appropriate way, the ripple effect in terms of a bunch of other things that are going to happen in the next several weeks and months could really uh, yeah, block but if you everything. Can't, if you can't uphold the rule of law, then it's meaningless. And uh, you're talking about the timeline. Well, the timeline, we're on the clock. Uh, we are definitely on the clock. Right. And if the prime minister continues to vacillate or, you know, he's just given to platitudes and bromides, uh, where does that leave him? I mean, is this something that damages him politically, uh, irrevocably? I mean, if this festers until the weekend... It's just my own spidey sense because people have already turned against the guy just reading a lot of blogs and mm-hmm. comment sections and everything like that. He's seen as rather ineffectual. And, and not was, only well, against him, what I'm worried about, what I'm worried about is is losing goodwill in the general public for the First Nations groups, for the legitimate claims that are out there to let a few hotheads really destroy the credibility of that process. And I think that needs to be... Um, needs to be watched and needs to be uh, ensured that it doesn't get ripped apart because that will set things back even more. Uh, well, there's even the a First sense Nations. that, you know, civil disobedience is okay, and I think a lot of Canadians can accommodate that. You know, we're fair-minded folk, but there comes a tipping point, and we probably already crossed right. it. It's but part, a, of the, well, part of the philosophy of civil disobedience is an acceptance on the part of those who are going to uh, disobey that they will go to jail for it. Yes. Well, right. Like, I mean, that, that has been well, that's part the rule of, of law. The, that has been part of the philosophy of civil disobedience. It's not, oh... I, I'm I'm going to disobey, but there'll be no consequences whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I just think for for Trudeau, I, I mean, he's promised a lot of things that he couldn't deliver, especially when it has to do with Indigenous people. Mm. I also wonder, how did we get here? Did no one consider talking to the hereditary chiefs of the Wet'suwet'en before, like before now, before, you know, how did we get to this position? In other words, if you're dealing with a community that has these branches, you you do need to to contact. And both. to be clear, that's, several that's, of the you know several of the the hereditary chiefs are on side as well. Again, right. it's back to the earlier question of does it have to be 100 percent? Yeah, uh, what constitutes is, a veto? Is consultation a veto? Uh, mm-hmm. How small a group or how big a group is required? Um, that is something that uh, is really in question here, and if we don't get our arms around it, it will paralyze the country going forward. And this is a central question, I think, for all of our development right now. Like over and over and over again, we see across all different industries where Canada, but certainly Ontario, but Canada could be an absolute leader in certain industries, and we can't get our stuff together to um, agree to how projects can be can move forward. So there's internal strife. We're putting companies against communities, communities against communities, rather than having clear, clear, clear regulation about what a pass equals or what a fail equals. Um, it's just, it's horrible for our economy. Right. And uh, when people preach about social license, it maybe opens the sluices at both ends for anybody who wants to be a spanner in the works.
Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 